Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, this is the third of a series of talks that I've been doing over the past few weeks, a while back, on the nature of presence uh, to celebrate some of us coming together for in-person services. Um, In the first one, which was now a few weeks ago, um, I talked about the realisation of presence the realization of presence as being the inner secret of enlightenment. That the meeting of presence within our soul and the presence that's all around us brings about the experience and the reality of of oneness that is at the root of enlightenment. In the merging of the presence within us and the presence around us, we arrive at a sense of oneness that's key to an understanding of the reality of existence. So that was the first week. And in the second week, I talked about practicing the presence, the importance of being aware of what's within us and what's around us as we go about our life. And this week, I want to talk about this idea of the grand presence. The grand presence is the complete awareness of all that's around us and all that's within us. It's the name for what people call enlightenment. Now, I'm not talking here about some peak experience, but a full appreciation of the extraordinary nature of the ordinary experience that's available to all of us on a day-to-day basis. Most of the time we see through a glass darkly. The grand presence is seeing life face to face. It's getting our minds out of the way sufficiently to see into the origin of things while at the same time using the mind to appreciate the origin. In an appreciation of this grand presence, the mind truly serves the heart in enabling the nature of of reality to reveal itself. I want to repeat, this is not some LSD-fueled altered state that I'm talking about here, but the natural state that all of us are invited to participate in. We're in a, a partial experience of the grand presence all the time. Being alive and awake is the door into it. However, most of the time we settle for a partial view of the presence that's moderated by our minds. We see this, we hear that, our minds comment on it, and then we move on. As Yamada Momum um, says in his book on the 10 ox herding pictures, if once you cut right through unreal thinking, then That world we call awakening or enlightenment is revealed. Seen from the world of awakening, you can grasp the true nature of things. People in the world at large, he says, think that they're seeing things truly, but really they're seeing just the shadow of things. They look at things through their many wants and desires They look at things through their self-interest that says, me, me, me. 
going through life only looking at things through their own personal experience, they've lost their grip on what's true and real. Since their hearts and minds are full of unreal thoughts, the world they see is, of course, unreal. It's like a horse with blinders. We only ever see a part of the picture. And we don't look further. We don't take off the blinders because we don't realize they're on. We don't realize that there's more. We accept the way we've always viewed the world because that's all we know. But, as we know, cats see more and dogs hear more and there is more. We just don't try to find it. I think, you know, one of the best descriptions in the Bible of the grand presence comes uh, from when Jesus is talking to his disciples in John 14. He says, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. That's a perfect summation of what I'm talking about here. Jesus is saying, when you get what I'm saying, you'll realize that I am in the Father. I am an expression of that divine reality. You are in me. You are fully present. And you are fully present in my consciousness, including yourself as an expression of that divine reality because you are in me. And I am in you. I am fully present to you in your consciousness, including myself in that expression of divine reality. And it includes everything. I am in the Father. Standing here, I am an expression of that divine. You are in me. I see you. And all that you are manifested as the divine. And I am in you. And you see me and all that I am as an expression of the divine. Me and everything else. The lectern, the floor, the chapel, the walls, Heather... Everything is an expression of the divine, and you have the ability to be present to it and bring to it your own presence. Now, we don't always think that way. Chances are, when you walk into the room, you, know, you notice the chairs, the clock, you know, Heather and me, you notice others around you, and then you go back to thinking what you're going to be doing after the event, what you might want to eat, what you might want to drink, anything, your mind will go there. Being aware of the presence of the divine in everything is not the obvious attitude as you walk into a room. Nonetheless, that experience and that attitude is available whether you choose to have it or not. And I'm saying that if one is committed to a spiritual path, it's the experience that we should be choosing to have above all other. Now, the word should is obviously difficult when you're talking spiritually, but it really means that, you know, this is the best option if you're coming from a committed place. As a spiritual practice is a best option. As not judging others is a best option. And I could go on, but it's just a best option. The fact is that at any moment, you have the option to experience life as that grand presence. And all we have to do is to give up our minds' little agendas of working things out 
and just be with what is. Most of the time, people struggle on the path to enlightenment. You know, we do our best. We meditate. We listen to podcasts. We strain our way up the mountain in the hope of that peak experience that we're going to get. But what this is saying is that we have the option to be enlightened at any moment in our lives. We just have to choose the option. And the reason we don't choose it is because we think that enlightenment is something else. It cannot be that simple. It has to look like Muhammad in the cave, Buddha under the tree, Moses at the burning bush, Elijah with the still small voice, that LSD trip we once had that convinced us that the spiritual path was the one to take, that out-of-body experience, that near-death experience, that climax of lovemaking, that ecstasy at the Est seminar. I mean, that's what we're looking for. And in looking for that, Everywhere along the path, in this talk, with that guru, in that meditation practice, with the 30-day challenge, with the next yoga teacher, just over the horizon, or whatever peak we're climbing up, with all that, we just miss the grand presence that's right in front of us. We think we know, it, we will know enlightenment when we see it. And because we have that idea... We miss what's always here, and it's now. And we don't think it is because it's so ordinary. We don't have a surge of joy or a wild excitement of ecstasy. No, but you do have this, whatever this is right now. And at some point, you will have a surge of joy probably when you see your grandchildren next. And you will have a wild experience of ecstasy. I won't go into when that might be, but you will have it. And you will have those experiences and feelings when you have them. And they will be right for then. But don't bundle them up and say that when you're truly enlightened, you'll experience all of that all the time. Because... That's what's stopping you getting enlightened right now. And for you right now, enlightenment is the slow boredom of this message. It is the buzz of the light. It's the smell of the coffee or your partner. It's the way that the light is falling across the chapel at the moment. It's my voice. It's this lectern. And it's choosing to know that all of this is the true expression of divine love, of the ground of all being, and that you are an expression of that. Even if it feels like a pain in your butt from the seat, a slight headache from last night, a tingling in your arms, a sense of distraction, and maybe everything just being a little bit off. All, all this is what you're being given right now. And to live in the presence of all this, in the full presence of it all, in the knowledge that it's all of a one and that we are all connected in infinite ways, to get that is to be enlightened. It may seem difficult to live like that all the time, and it is. We find that we cannot be in this elevated state when we're arguing with the family about the election or getting our kids to do our homework. 
But that doesn't stop us practicing being in this presence and giving up to it, even if we cannot hang on to it. Because the more we live our lives this way, the more it'll help us express ourselves in the highest possible way. The more we'll be able to be the adult in the room and bring love into the most difficult situations. Surely that's worth aspiring to, even if we fail more times than we succeed. We're all already in the presence of enlightenment. We just have to choose the option of being enlightened, of giving up to it, of resting in it, to know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. To know that is to be in the grand presence and to be in the grand presence is to be what is spiritually known as to be enlightened. There is no more to it than that. And yet, you know, we still want more. We want to believe in the mountain that we have to climb, in the work that we have to do, in the guru that knows more than we do. Why? Because then we don't have to take responsibility for being enlightened right now. There's still hope that it'll be something, there'll be something more in our dreary lives. We want to keep striving, we want to keep going, because there might just be a great vista over the next hill. And there never is. There's only another part of the mountain to climb. So what does it mean to get that you have the option to choose to be fully enlightened right now? Because that's what I'm saying, we have the option. It means that you have an option to enter into a loving relationship with whatever comes your way. It means that you cannot blame others for your life. It means you have to radically accept your partner, your health, your job, your situation. It means that there's not some great answer out there and that you have to live instead with the questions that you have. All of which is why we often don't choose this option. We prefer to complain, to blame, and to think that there might be more just around the corner. But in not choosing it, we miss the chance of living with that peace that passes all understanding, that comes with radical acceptance. And that's what this is. It's radical acceptance of the presence. We miss when we don't radically accept. We miss the infinite beauty of what's in front of us right now, preferring the possibility of something more beautiful in the future. We miss seeing the deep yearning and pain of those that we love. We miss that. And therefore, we miss experiencing the compassion that will help them heal. Instead, we prefer to have our judgments about them. We miss experiencing life as it is right now for the idea that there's something better around the corner. That's why the world chooses not to take up this option. Most people don't even know this option exists. You have to have committed to a spiritual path to get to that point of realization. And that's why we do what we do here. The purpose of the chapel and those others like-minded practitioners is to reveal that this choice is available to everyone. 
but along with most religions who promise a better hereafter if you give up wanting it now, most of us struggle to get away from the life that we're living in the hope that there's something better. <clears throat> something better is right in front of us if we could but see it. And it's not anyone's fault that they can't see it. It's just a part of the evolution of consciousness that some people can see it. As history and civilization evolves, so we become more conscious of what is around us. I think the idea of civilization is an interesting one. The American cultural anthropologist Margaret Mead, who died in 1978, was asked by a student what she considered to be the first sign of civilization in culture. Mead said that the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture was a thigh bone that had been broken and then had been healed. She explained that in the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You can't run from danger, get to the river for a drink or hunt for food. You're meat for the prowling beasts. No animal survives a broken leg long enough for a bone to heal. The broken femur that's healed is evidence that someone has taken the time to stay with the one who fell, has bound up the wound, has carried the person to safety, has tended the person through recovery. Helping someone else through difficulty is where civilization starts. We're at our best when we serve others, she says. That's being civilized. And that's what we're doing now in our work of healing and bringing about the awareness of the true nature of reality. We're, we're being civilized. We're helping the femur of consciousness heal in our fellow men and women. We're showing that the femur can be healed and that there is a better way to live. And so we choose to enter into this grand presence. We choose the option of being enlightened, not because it's easy, but because it's hard, as President Kennedy said. We think that when we get enlightened, everything will be easy. No, it continues to be hard, but we feel a peace in the hardness of it all. We feel a deep satisfaction at playing our part. We'll know that our life has had a meaning and that we have made a contribution, whether or not anyone else notices it or cares. So which do you choose in any moment? The option of enlightenment or to continue up that mountain in the hope that it'll be easier when you get there. Thank you, Tom. Lovely. So any, any, anything we, should, we, we can bring out from what I was talking about then? It's always very interesting to me how we, we are all graced with these fleeting moments of that, that wonder that you were talking about of yeah. presence. And it may, one, one thing that I always remember James Finley saying that has just been so meaningful to me is that what we can do is um, assume an inner stance in our lives 
that offers the least resistance to being overtaken by a moment like that. So that our hearts are ready to be quickened, to ready, that our hearts can be ready to experience and receive a moment of, you know, graced awakening kind of thing. Um, that it's something that we can cultivate so that we don't just miss it and we don't go through life just missing it. Um, I would love to, if we have time just to quote a bit from James Finney because yeah, it's just no, so, to me this is just so what you were saying. And um, he goes, the, the coming and going of our moments of awakening begin to graze our hearts with longing. This is what makes us seekers of the inner way, this longing in which we find ourselves going about with a certain holy discontent. Consciously and unconsciously we go about asking why do I spend so many of my waking hours trapped on the outer circumference of the inner richness of the life I'm living? How can I live more daily how can I live in more daily abiding awareness of the transcendent transcendent depths so fleetingly glimpsed? Like we just we glimpse them, but how can we live in that abiding awareness? Um, we cannot make moments of spontaneous awakening occur. But even so, we find our way to the strategy that underlines, underlies all methods of meditation, freely choosing to assume the inner stance that offers the least resistance to being overtaken by the graced awakenings we are powerless to attain, and then cultivating that, the habit of doing that. I just want to say, if anybody wants to, to speak from the floor, just put your hand up and I'll, I'll come to you. Um, I think it's, it, it is interesting because... You know, we live our difficult lives. Everything, it comes at us all the time, difficulty. Um, and it's so easy to convince ourselves that, that we're not um, enlightened, that we're not um, in that uh, best possible state. And it seems to me that, that the key to it is one of prioritizing our inner peace. In, in the cultivation of our inner peace, it means that whatever waves pass over us, there's a part of us, you know, that old thing, you know, the still center of the gyroscope. It's the cultivation of that. And that is the essence of it. And that enables us, you know, to, as, as James Finney was saying, that enables us to prepare us to offer the least possible resistance that when that moment of joy does come, we're able to appreciate it. When it bubbles up, you know, when we put our decorations up and look around the room and go, wow! <laughs> when we see our children's faces and go, wow! Then we can appreciate it. Our mind's not somewhere else. Yeah, it's just knowing that it's available right now. This, this is it right yeah. now, always right now. Um, and it's just, it's just up to us to, um, to be open and receptive and, and willing to, to go there. And it also reminds me, I'm reminded of that um, poem by William Blake uh, that talks about... Um, bearing the beams of love, like sometimes it's hard to bear the beams of, of love. And it's, I, I sometimes feel like going through life is all about us expanding our capacity to literally just bear the beams of love. It's almost like it's too much for us to, yeah. too, presence is too wonderful for us to cope with sometimes. It makes us vulnerable. It hurts. Yeah. And, um, but can we open to it and bear the beams of love? Yeah. Yeah. And yet, you will always think there's somewhere else to be. And it seems to be such an amazing... Uh, the, the idea that we could be conscious of anything other than what we're being conscious of right now is, 
is not, doesn't really make sense. We can, I can only be conscious of you right now. I can't be conscious of anything else. Yeah, and, and like right now, I, I, I don't know about you, but look, I'm aware of, it's, it's like it's inside, it's not to do with. Yeah. I mean, I'm aware of this room and all you lovely people, but it, isn't it? It's, in, it's, it's inside. Enough. It's enough already. It's enough already. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.